Today is April the 29th. Is it Lex Rex or is it Rex Lex? Let's find out together as we read 2 Samuel 9 to 12. In 2 Samuel 9 to 12, in chapter 9, David looks for someone that he can show kindness to. That someone is Mephibosheth. He is Jonathan's son. He was dropped when he was a child. He's lame. David takes him into his own home, feeds him at his own table for the rest of his life. Chapters 10 and 11 tells the story of the defeat of the city of Ammon, but it's not quite that simple. In this case, in chapter 10, David sends out his army to fight Ammon. Now they defeat Ammon, and chapter 10 tells us of that defeat. But in chapter 11, we see a particular story during that defeat. David sent out his army, but he himself stayed in Jerusalem. As he stayed there one evening, he saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof. Now Bathsheba was more than likely bathing in a ritual ceremony, cleansing herself from her menstruation. Uh, David saw her, calls for her, and he makes love to her. This is, in essence, a state-sanctioned rape. Bathsheba really didn't have a say-so in what was going on. Now, she could have resisted. She probably would have been killed. Um, she becomes pregnant. Now, David has to make up a story. Her husband, Uriah, is away at war. If he says nothing and Uriah comes home, finds his wife pregnant, she would be killed. So what David does, you know the story. He arranges for Uriah to return, tries to convince Uriah to go to his wife. But Uriah is loyal to his comrades in arms. He refuses to go to his house. He refuses to sleep with his wife because none of his comrades in arms are able to do that. David sends Uriah back to the battlefront with a note that simply says, put him at the front of the battle and withdraw. Let him be killed. David kills Uriah with an Ammonite sword. Now, in chapter 12, after David takes Bathsheba into his own household as wife, Nathan the prophet, seeing what has happened, goes to David, tells David a parable that David at first doesn't get, the parable of a man who has everything but steals the little lamb of his next-door neighbor. David is irate says, bring me that man, I'll take care of this. And Nathan says simply, David, you are the man. David understands. He repents. 
we started the devotional with the question, is it Lex Rex or is it Rex Lex? Monarchies throughout the ages have asked this question. Is it Lex Res? Is the law the king or is it Rex Les? Or is the king the law? David began this passage as if the king was the law. But by the end of the passage, he understands, no. God's law governs all, even the king. It is Lex Rex. David is subject to God's law, and David pays the penalty for sinning. 2 Samuel 9-12, through 12, New Living Translation 2 Samuel 9 One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and was Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Meshibotheth. Meshibotheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Meshibotheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. 2 Samuel 10 Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan became king. David said, I am going to show loyalty to Hanan, just as his father Nahash was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan, their master, Do you really think these men are coming to honor your father? No, David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come and conquer it. So Hanan seized David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened, 
he sent messengers to tell the men, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow out, and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. When the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, they sent and hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from the lands of Beth Rehob and Zobah, 1,000 from the king of Maacah, and 12,000 from the land of Taub. When David heard about this, he sent Joab and all his warriors to fight them. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city gate, while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehob and the men from Taub and Mecha positioned themselves to fight in the open fields. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of Israelites' elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. If the Amorites are too strong for you, I will come to help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the city of our God. May the Lord's will be done. Then Joab and his troops attacked. The Arameans began to run away, and when the Ammonites saw the Arameans running, they ran from Abishai and retreated into the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Arameans now realized that they were no match for Israel. So when they were grouped, they were joined by additional Aramean troops, summoned by Hadiezer from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops arrived at Helam under the command of Shobak, the commander of Hadiezer's forces. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Helam. The Arameans positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David, but the Arameans fled from Israel. This time David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobak, the commander of the army. When all the kings allied with Hadiezer, saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. 2 Samuel 11 In the spring of that year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Beersheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent message to David, saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. 
He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, "'What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away so long?' Uriah replied, "'The ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing.' Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, Report all the news of the battle to the king, but he might get angry when you ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech the son of Gideon killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. 2 Samuel 12 So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. 
From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Beersheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word to Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city, otherwise I will capture it and get credit for the victory. So David gathered the rest of the army and went to Rabbah, and he fought against it and captured it. David removed the crown of the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and it weighed seventy-five pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks, and iron axes, and to work in the brick kilns. That is how he dealt with all the people of the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. Scripture reading by Emily Herrera. Like, follow, and subscribe to this devotional on whatever platform you use to listen to it. Email your questions to us at questions at becomehope.com. Tomorrow, we'll see the repeated song.